Welcome to episode two of the Unchanging Education podcast. I'm your host, Dan Clemens, and I will pick right up from where we left off episode one and talking about this ideological imbalance in education, specifically in pedagogy, which is the level of theory, right, of ideas in education, and that there are some myths that accompany this narrative in pedagogy and that there there's an imbalance in my view that favors this new student-centered mode or modality of thinking but there's also this you know founding myth that part of the dominant narrative that while there is an imbalance it's actually one that favors this old teacher-centered way um this Thing that we sort of can't get rid of ostensibly and so student-centeredness uh, as a novel approach is always punching up um, perhaps forever and always will be in seeking more of an unlimited power right even if you are in the dominant position and you continue to sort of theorize uh, yourself or basically to see yourself as being in the minority position even though, as I've suggested, it's been in the majority position in terms of the ideas in education for a hundred years. And another part of this, the this kind of mythical narrative, is that there's sort of a, a good versus evil construct that emerges as well. And often it's like, well, we, as the new good people, are student-centered. Uh, and that we have kind of arrived at this moment in history to correct the bad old teacher-centered ways. And so it sets up an, an us versus them, a kind of a tribal war. Um, and this sort of new avenging um, hero. And again, I talked a little bit about, you know, the way that the two different approaches are, I think, mischaracterized. And But I think, I think teachers... Uh, in the audience will recognize this kind of flavor of uh, student-centeredness that is, you know, kind and effective versus this old, cruel, ineffective style of teaching. I mean, I, I think that it would probably be reasonable to suggest that these are quite historically constant, right? Some teachers being effective or ineffective and uh, teachers being cruel or kind, that this isn't something that is really specifically unique or something that a new theory that ultimately, I mean, in terms of methods, for example, is based on um, activities rather than uh, kind of like listen and respond or read and respond uh, type, type teaching. So what is the mission in education? Uh, obviously, TC and SC are going to answer these things quite differently. But um, in my view, education's mission is not radical revolutionary change. And I touched on this at the end of the last episode. Um, so, but how does this radical or revolutionary change um, manifest? Well, on one level, it's pedagogical, it's internal. It's in the theory world of education itself that we need radical revolutionary changes in ideas in the way we think and talk about education. 
But it also, you know, in practice, we also see how these ideas manifest from theory into practice and into the broader society. That we don't just want radical revolutionary change in terms of pedagogy and, you know, the publications that exist within the education space, but also to promote and to seek to create social change agents. And we're, we're seeing this change agent uh, language a lot more. It seems that, you know, social justice warrior, which was never really a great phrase, has sort of gone by the wayside. But I think that that's the idea here. Um, versus a very different sense of what education's mission is, uh, which is that it basically it shouldn't be radical or revolutionary per se, that it should defend or conserve the good, that it should maintain but also work to improve whatever works. And more broadly, it wouldn't seek in practice to create change agents um, it would be more invested in, you know, producing citizens who are inclined to defend culture and civilization. Because destruction or um, cultural revolution that might sound hyperbolic or, or alarmist, I realize, um, but th that's not the answer. So it's important to appreciate the stakes of the worst possible outcome in changing anything in any kind of radical revolutionary way. And it's the ends aren't always necessarily clear, but there is an important duty that we have in the world of education. If we see a certain imbalance or excess to think, well, what, what could it lead to as the worst possible outcome? Right. So what I'm saying is this isn't really alarmist or hyperbolic in terms of preventing the you know, wholesale destruction of you know, everything we hold dear. But it is important to consider, well, what is the worst? Like, where could this lead in, like, in the, the universe of the worst possible outcome? And to try to safeguard against that worst potential outcome, those worst possibilities. So it is, uh, it is hard to talk about this without sounding explicitly political. Um, but I think at least from a perspective of, of, a, of a renewed or refined teacher-centered way of thinking, that there is a concern. And when we talk about an ideological imbalance uh, or ideological excesses in terms of student-centeredness over teacher-centeredness, but that also plays out a little bit differently in, in the broader society. And it, it entertains or takes seriously this notion of a hostile takeover ideology that is described in many different ways. But you could call it woke or hard left or Marxist. I'm sure there are other terms to describe these phenomena as well. And I'm still just trying to get through the introduction here. Uh, I've got something like... A literature review that's going to look at a lot of different moments and a lot of different thinkers but i'm just trying to get through the ideas here first um, but i will mention jonathan Haidt because you know if you start sounding too radical it's good to bring in someone who's really quite uh, you know moderate and there's going to be some some moderate voices and some extreme voices that that i'm going to be discussing but 
he talks about this in terms of universities of having you know one of two different basic ethos whether it be for truth or for justice right so is he's talking about universities but i'm just going to extrapolate that to education is education a truth-seeking enterprise or a justice-seeking enterprise and he suggests that it it can't be both i don't think he necessarily says it it can only be one or the other uh, that this is collectively exhaustive uh, but he does make the point that this is that these are mutually exclusive to use some philosophical jargon but i think that this maps onto tvsc teacher versus student-centered ideas very well right that teacher centeredness would be considered more of a truth-seeking enterprise and student-centeredness is more of a justice-seeking enterprise so maybe there we can think of this in terms of a schism um that i've been using you know 100 years as kind of a convenient marker but it, in, in the intellectual history of it of education is difficult to do here but the idea is that maybe, you know, before this uh, shift into an almost total student-centered mode, we had something like teacher versus student-centered, and they were, you know, they, they were in a kind of a contest or competition with one another. I think the literature will show that quite clearly. Um, But it's also important to remember when, when we're getting into these, you know, political kind of debates and discussions, to also remember that what's being discussed is not really a problem of people. And, but it's also not really, it seems not democratic the way that this change has occurred. So if we consider, you know, teachers and parents as a whole class of people, right, with considerable overlap. Right, a lot of teachers are parents and parents are teachers. It seems that even though this change um, is so forceful and so totalized, that it isn't something that it seems that most people really want. That it doesn't really seem democratic in a, in a genuine sense. That it seems quite top-down. Right? It's not as if parents and teachers and school boards kind of got together to agree that they all need to, to conspire and collaborate to destroy education as it is. So uh, let me just give a, an example. I know I've been talking in the abstract a lot about teacher and student-centeredness. So as an example, uh, consider this. So during my, my B.Ed., uh, when I was in, I'm using the term ed school a lot, education school, bachelor of education. I was a pre-service teacher. These all kind of refer to the same thing. We were told that a teacher should co-create classroom rules with kids. So this is who I would call the professor, right? A university teacher, teaching, teaching all of us would be teachers. Yet in our practicum with real teachers and kids in the classroom, this was not practiced. So, you know, coming back from practicum with the professor again, the professor asked us how many teachers that, that you observed did this, right? How many teachers are actually co-creating classroom rules like, like, like they want to be done or that they think should be done? in the ed school, in, in my B.Ed. And no one raised their hand. Uh, at least no one that I saw. 
to, to give an affirmative response that yes, you know, the teacher that I was apprenticing uh, was co-creating classroom rules with kids, and the, the the professor or the teacher trainer was deeply disappointed. I remember her shaking her head. And even if you talk to teachers, um, I think that you will find the same kind of idea that that I was certainly picking up. Not just talking to teachers I worked with and other students, and it's sort of in the culture of education because most real teachers, teacher practitioners, right? Not sort of retired professorial types, uh, wean themselves off of what they would probably call ed school BS in becoming effective teachers. They are not true believers in this student-centered mode. They are, I would describe as their empiricists who don't do what doesn't work. They don't do what doesn't make sense. So this is why I've, I've suggested that actually, even though we have, you know, a real ideological imbalance uh, of, you know, stu student-centered super-dominance, in practice, we still have something like teacher versus student-centeredness. That versus here is to indicate that they're, uh, that sort of, they're sort of still competing with one another. And ultimately, having different ideas compete with each other it serves to kind of keep everybody honest and works as a, as a sort of a check and balance type system. So in practice, we have it already, I think, to a large extent. And it's just not defined that way. And one of my goals is to make it more explicit and also to bring this same kind of balance uh, into the level of ideas, the way that we think and talk about education. So I think a lot of teachers, they've kind of turned away from this more um, postmodern or post-structural student-centered type way. But I think they don't, they wouldn't identify as being teacher-centered. They would just think of themselves as not doing things that don't work, that they've been told to do. So even though ed schools only transmit SC, student-centered theory, which all new teachers inherit, Real teachers don't transmit failing student-centered practices, and de facto, they embrace teacher-centered practices, and by extension, teacher-centered ideas too. But uh, TC theory is never transmitted, right? And all the great authors that I'm going to get into later, and important thinkers, philosophers, um, they are not transmitted. They do not come through in education schools Almost no theory really is in net schools. Of course, it should be sort of practical, but um, that these ideas are largely dis disregarded. So it may sound harsh, but at times, at least, it certainly does seem that ed schools are like cults of personality populated by slavishly uncritical acolytes of Dewey and Freire, mostly, Someone like Kilpatrick is going to be sort of more a, a distant background figure. Um, but those are those are the two thinkers that I think that teachers are going to be familiar with in terms of you know, thinkers in education. I also want to acknowledge I'm using the anglicized pronunciation, Freire. Uh, I think it's actually pronounced, you know, Freire or Freire. But certainly there's more to 
like the world of ideas and education than these two. And not only are these the only two, but they're always taught basically as, you know, to, to use a kind of phrase, they're taught as gospel, right? That these are like that they're taught and they're learned about totally uncritically. Another one is, I mean, I guess you do get, like there are other names. You hear Maslow, um, you'll hear Vygotsky, but it's much more like psychological developmental psychology. So in terms of people that are actually focused on education, Julian Freire, and certainly the world of ideas and education is much bigger than that, but even if we constrain it to those two, we, we should still have a balance of what are the you know shortcomings in their, their thinking. And it's something that we'll try to get to. So a hundred year monoculture in education is at a breaking point where bad ideas that don't work and don't make sense persist nevertheless, just because of this overwhelming ideological imbalance or this ideological purity in ed schools. Because there are true believers and their ranks increase, again, due to the ideological purity of student-centered ed schools. So even though we have still maybe not quite a critical mass, but again, I think that there's a balance between teacher and student-centered. DVSE exists amongst teacher practitioners, but because ed schools are so ideologically pure that this is decreasing, it's declining, right? That new graduates, new young teachers, there are going to be some true believers who are going to, you know, unfailingly, unceasingly commit themselves to the student-centered ideas and methods but as I've stated teachers are making the practical case against student-centeredness all the time and they're making the case for teacher-centered you know practices but in education's monoculture if the theoretical case against it as the case for TC cannot be made the excesses of the balance will continue but another way there's a real need to reinforce this de facto reliance on teacher-centeredness in practice where student-centered ideas or practices methods fail with an articulation of teacher-centeredness in terms of the power of its ideas on its own terms as a pedagogical competitor in theory as well as practice right or teacher-centered theory as well as the practices that exist As I alluded to, teacher-centeredness already possesses an abundant literature that can form the basis of a paradigm shift or a, a reshift or an unchange that seems much needed. And since it is often better to be for something than solely contrary, excavating the lost wisdom, an untapped reservoir, largely intentionally, I believe, uh, can revitalize a pedagogical flourishing again that is a contest a competition between two different approaches two different ways of thinking or approaching teaching learning education so excavating this lost wisdom can become a launching pad to revive teacher-centeredness and rebalance towards uh, a kind of re to reinstitute teacher versus student-centered philosophy and and ultimately in my view that this will renew education as such. And so, despite my own 
complex relationship with teacher and student-centered theories and practices. I think if you saw my teaching practice, you would think that I was, I mean, you would certainly recognize whatever you might think of student-centeredness in it, I believe. But in terms of, you know, in the world of ideas, there has been this slow change, Not probably, I'm saying super, student-centeredness has been dominant for a hundred years, but I think we can also think of the last 50 years as where it's been sort of a total orthodoxy or total monopoly groupthink and intensified even further in another like the last 25 year window where I think if you go back 25 years you can still see some discussion um, right at the tail end of people like Santrock who just see teacher and student centered as just different basically as different tools uh, that work differently in different situations um, in different situations or in the hands of different teachers some teachers will do better with one method than the other or for some students or for some classes that you know so some teachers need to talk and explain more some teachers need to run more activities some kids need more direct instruction um, or as some classrooms really thrive on activities that, that really all depends I think in the last 25 years, really, even those really small minority voices that still just saw these as kind of two different things, not in terms of good and bad, different situations, different teachers, different students, how, perhaps only very recently, student-centered became largely synonymous with effective teaching, again, in terms of its methods, its descriptively good, and compassionate teaching. In terms of its morals, it's normatively good. But this squeezes out any place for any other way. And, in my view, the hundreds, arguably thousands, if we want to trace a tradition going all the way back to someone like Socrates, that there were so many hundreds of years at least of success before the student-centered uh, takeover. And that all of that success, basically the foundations of our culture and civilization, accompany this other, older way. And why I think this is so deeply problematic will all be revealed, partly through my considerations and explanations and interpretations of the teacher-centered method or model itself. So the complex relationship within this dualism in education, so-called teacher-versus-student-centered focus, I think that that duality or that dualism, again, this that education somehow was able to accommodate both of these different things, has been elided, deleted, erased, destroyed, uh, or raised to the extent that almost every educator, and indeed every educator, educator, teacher, teacher, um, teacher, trainer, or professor, the ed school teachers themselves, can only think of this in terms of good and bad. When knowledge loses sophistication, it becomes devoted or zealous in favor of one good way, that, you know, that's quote-unquote us, and then there's one good way of thinking that is opposed to the other bad way of thinking, them. I believe it is degraded. And so this monopolization, this orthodoxy, 
um, that it's ultimately destructive in education. We want heterodoxy. We want a diversity of ideas. And if we can't have teacher versus student centered, like this is basically the built-in fail-safe feature um, of education for a long time, and that we have these two different kinds of things that are sort of locked in this contest. And just by just picking one and jettisoning the other one, that this is, it strangely, it causes a decline in sophistication and knowledge loss in education. Uh, and it also contributes uh, as sort of a compounding factor to education as a field losing sophistication and that it's not really, unfortunately, it's not really seen as serious. It's not really very philosophically interesting to minds that are interested in, you know, speculation. Uh, education increasingly behaves as if it just has the one true way and that it's got these new ideas that are here to correct all the old backward ideas that it's anti-traditional and anti-conservative, anti-teacher-centered. So there are many valuable and valid critiques of education, possibly too many, right? Everyone seems to want to critique education as it is. So with so many critiques of education, what's the, what's the contribution that I can try to make here? And of course, I think that this one is different and needed, not simply because diversity of ideas, a marketplace of ideas in collegial contest is inherently desirable. So certainly I do think that. So the common refrain whenever the topic of educational philosophy or pedagogy appears is that one is student-centered, that people self-identify as being student-centered. But I think it's really ceased to be a choice at all, right? People describe themselves as student-centered, but there's nothing else that they can reasonably describe themselves as being. That it just sort of, it's kind of a, it's like a loyalty pledge rather than any thoughtful description of one's own thinking. It is conformity. It is bowing to a gentle, gentle at first, but increasingly hostile, institutionalized pressure. It really only means that one must, quote-unquote, freely declare that they are good and in step with the dominant ideology. It can be good in two or three ways. Again, this is the, the, the student-centered narrative of itself. SC is good because it works, it's effective, and SC is good because it cares. It values the learner's humanity, for example. And of course, built into all this is not just a straw man, but I would say a hollow man that, well, you know, before us, before the way, before our method, before our theory arrived on the historical landscape, education was, you know, ineffective and uncaring and it didn't value people's humanity. Implicit in all of this is that, of course, there's some other undesirable, if not deplorable, center that doesn't work and doesn't care. And, uh, you know, Postman has talked about this as being a caricature. This just lampoons the history of education. It's just, it's, it can be described, and I've described it as, as the founding or the foundational myth, like the creation myth of student-centeredness itself. 
So, I've already talked about everyone knows Dewey. And when we talk about Dewey and Freire, we'll be talking about progressivism as well as essentialism and perennialism and Freire. Um, but it's certainly a problem that, that there's such a, a really increasingly limited and narrow scope in education. And ultimately, what we what we would rather see in, in terms of like a, a flourishing, you know, thoughtful philosophical landscape, and something like education, where obviously ideas are important, and having a again a genuine, robust diversity of ideas, etc. Okay, so what is? Let me try to come back to what is TVSC. No, it's kind of when, when someone's using a new acronym. Um. You know, it, it takes some some adjusting or getting used to. Um, so again, let me just step back about TC and SC. TC, teacher-centered. Well, what is it? What does it mean? What does it refer to? I've indicated that colloquially, it's like you could think of it in terms of being traditional or conservative. And I think that ultimately that's fair, even though, yeah, um, I don't necessarily think of myself as a as a traditionally conservative type teacher, I don't think that really works for me. But in terms of the ideas, uh, conservative in its most general sense that we want to conserve, that we want to keep what works, and we don't want to risk, you know, losing what already works. Um, it's really more like I think that student-centered pedagogy is more anti-traditional and anti-conservative. And that teacher-centered is just not anti-traditional. It's not anti-conservative. Anyway, so TC, there's a focus on the classroom, the thinking activity of the class as a group, and that they develop knowledge. Now, you'll see, I mentioned for area, you know, you'll see that this, again, part of this, the, the, the mythologizing narrative of student-centeredness lampoons this as mere banking. Right, that you're just, you know, putting these blocks of ideas into, you know, the passive minds of people. Which I, I'll explain more in detail why I think this is really absurd. Um, but it is transmission. Transmission is, is essential and teacher-centered teaching. And whatever, so what, what is being transmitted? And it has to be the other word that goes along with transmission, I think, is inheritance. That there is a kind of a knowledge inheritance um, of all people. That really is, I think, as much as it seems like, it may seem like it's Western culture, but it isn't. Um, that as much as, you know, I mean, Shakespeare, for example, seems kind of quintessentially Western, but Shakespeare will be part of this inheritance of of all people, right? That that experiencing the language of Shakespeare, that it's it's not really exclusive to anyone. That it's it's for everyone. It's part of the inheritance of all of civilization, not just any particular culture. Okay, so teacher-centered focus on the classroom, the class as a group, and knowledge, and transmission and inheritance. SC student-centered. There's a focus instead on the individual learner. Right? Not the thinking activity of the class, but of the feeling individual. And it's less focused on knowledge, more focused on emotion. Emotional development, perhaps especially. And instead of you know transmission and inheritance of some kind of uh, 
uh, the sort of great riches of, of culture and all the best that has ever been thought, said, written. Instead of transmission and inheritance, it is for transformation and change for justice. Again, this truth and justice thing, teacher-centered truth, transmission, TTT, teacher-centered transmission, truth, student-centeredness, transformation, change, and justice. So in the most general level, I'm saying that what we have now is the dominance of student-centeredness, which I think already I'm bumping up against the, the student-centered myth narrative that actually teacher-centered is dominant and we need to keep struggling and upward to unseat it. Now, student-centeredness in this superposition over a completely discarded teacher-centered pedagogy is a problem. And the second main general point here is that teacher versus student-centered, bringing these two forces into an sort of an back into an overt contest again, where they're kind of pushing back and, and testing one another is good right that it's not only good but i would say necessary and ultimately i think i might even go so far as to say that it is essential and so in order to do this of course at, at times i'm going to seem quite balanced like i'm arguing for you know recreating this this kind of balance but also at times i'm going to you know, make, I'll try to make the point as forcefully as I can that, for example, teacher-centered is very good and student-centered is very bad. And a lot of this is meant to, um, it's kind of a rhetorical tactic or strategy that ultimately my goal is still to balance these things, but there will be times where I'll be making the case quite forcefully and it'll seem like, it'll seem like I want a new sort of teacher-centered super dominance and then we should never have anything student-centered ever again. Um, but in some ways, like the rhetoric will take that shape, but ultimately a balance is the ultimate goal here. And sometimes, you know, the arguments will be made so forcefully, it may seem that I want something else. I don't. It's about teacher versus student-centered, having these things together. So, the preeminence of student-centeredness is widely regarded as the triumph of a new brand of good teacher over and against the crushing yoke of the old, bad, teacher-centered type. This is so often stated, at least it has in my experience, especially in ed schools, that it almost comes to convince through sheer pseudo-consensus and so deeply appeals to the good-natured, would-be teacher's desire to be good to be, and to be seen as effective and caring. Increasingly, the former can be sacrificed for the latter, which is a different problem. That of, get into a new different problem, that a property that is, I would say, central to student-centeredness is a therapeutization of education. And so the move back to a teacher-centered and, and a robust teacher versus student-centered is also going to be a de-therapeutization of education. So the emphasis on, like the therapeutic emphasis, and this is also largely taken the shape of social-emotional learning. Um, again, this is kind of central to student-centered, and so uh, I, I think I just want to be upfront with the fact that a de-emphasis on these you know, on, on the therapeutic and a de-emphasis on, you know, something like social and emotional learning 
that school, again, in the teacher-centered mode, is really a place for, you know, for, for learning in a more traditional sense. So, would TC mean the opposite? Well, probably insofar as we have to think of it as the anti-pedagogy boogeyman over the last 100 years. Right, that again, this kind of a character or a cartoon of teacher-centered is being very kind of like this kind of cruel and uncaring style of education. Though interestingly, it continually portrays itself as some cutting edge. So the point I'm making here, not not particularly clearly, is that you know, and and McDonald and Ravitch have made this point, is that student-centeredness is as a as the sort of dominant theory is constantly selling itself as being this new cutting edge thing that, you know, now we're just starting to do, you know, these kinds of new, 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 new practices and these new ideas, but they've already been dominant for a hundred years is, is the point that's being reiterated here. Okay. And to make another connection more explicit, talking about uh, therapeutic education or, uh, and, and we'll be discussing a book called The Dangerous Rise of Therapeutic Education. But going back to my sort of, my, my most recent distinction between teacher and student-centered. For student-centered, I, I was saying that it focuses on the individual learner, right? Like, this maps onto a therapeutic mode because the individual, the child, the student, like always thinking of it as, as an atom, as one thing that is necessary for for what we would call the therapeutic situation that therapy is basically almost always sort of an individual type thing right and that students and centeredness is focused on emotional development and transformation and change uh that it has it's almost it's almost implicit right but again think, thinking going back to how sort of non-therapeutic teacher-centeredness is that the focus is on the class and the thinking activity of the class, not the individual feelings, the thinking of the group. Again, it's com completely opposite here. Now, of course, individual feelings matter, right? But ultimately, as teachers in schools, the thinking activity of the class is what matters. N sorry, not the feelings of the individual. Now, of course, both of these things always matter to every teacher. So I'm saying in practice, we already have this um, this rich, reflective uh, interplay of these two different things. But the focus is on knowledge and, and gaining knowledge. And basically, education exists to make people smarter, not necessarily to make people better adjusted. Okay. So teacher-centeredness would, for example, probably concede to sacrifice care for efficacy, right? That um, basically sacrificing care for efficacy. Um, so, as a teacher-centered teacher, for example, if you know, if how much of what I'm trying to teach are all the kids learning? It's kind of how it's judged in terms of its efficacy. What am I trying to teach? What do I want them to learn or to know? And to the extent, like, if 100% of the students learn and can demonstrate that they've learned 100% of what I'm teaching, then that's just efficacy. And to what extent is it appropriate to sacrifice, you know, how much of this efficacy, this perfect, you know, 100% of the knowledge for 100% of the students, 
how much of that am I willing to sacrifice to ensure that, you know, people are, you know, in a kind of in a happy emotional place. So insofar as it sees teaching as distinct from parenting, this is another thing that I think teacher centeredness has an extra has a really clear sense of the boundary that look, you know, in my class, we're here to talk about the content of, of the class. And, you know, it's, like you're supposed to get care and have, you know, sort of um, private or sensitive conversations with your parents. And, and, and I think a teacher-centered teacher in this context, in a de-therapeutic sort of sense, would say, well, like, you know, talk to your parents. If, if, if a conversation with a student is getting into something personal, it's like, you know, there's a sense that my job is to be an effective, efficient teacher socialization and basic needs are parts of education it has to be said but to what extent are they the essential mission of schooling right making sure people are well socialized and that all of their needs um, you know social psychic emotional sel right uh, to what extent is that the essential mission of schooling we, we should have a robust teacher versus student center tvsc disagreement on important and uncertain questions that's why we need at least at least two major different approaches to these kinds of questions in order to have disagreement because a lot of these things like this is an important and an uncertain question and it becomes really hard to talk about how like again i think this is an extremely important problem that's almost impossible to talk about in a kind of an in the current pedagogical orthodoxy uh, about how much efficacy right are you willing to sacrifice right like if i can see to the you know the the, the psychological well-being of one student in the class how much learning loss am i willing to accept now what if it's two or three students like if the if the psychological emotional needs of, of certain individual students in the class are significant um, how do I sort of balance what I'm what I'm trying to do just strictly as a as a someone who's delivering curriculum I think that it's quite hard to even ask these questions or to have these conversations because you know it's it's very easy for any anyone to kind of come in from the outside and undercut you and say well like the health and well-being of your students is the most important thing. And it becomes really difficult to argue back against that, right? That if you kind of, again, if you take what I would consider a more of a teacher-centered position, like, well, like, okay. <laughs> and like, you, you, you almost want to say, well, how, like, how much, how much learning loss, how much, to what extent is it appropriate uh, to sacrifice efficacy for care, for example, in this, in this construct and it's it's really hard it's hard to say uh i, I don't want to go too, too deep in that particular example but it's just an example of a question how can a critique of student-centered education be possible so first a slight deconstruction has to occur because that term itself is possibly a sleight of hand any idea or set of ideas too difficult to challenge solely because of its namesake must be distrusted right 
So it's hard to say, well, you know, uh, to say that I'm skeptical of, you know, the student-centered model. Or, um, you know, this, the student-centered therapeutic education that's feelings-focused and wants to make kids feel loved. It is hard to kind of say, well, like, what you... You don't think students should be at the center? Like you don't think that kids' feelings matter? You you don't think that these kids deserve to feel loved? Like just based on the way that the words are constructed, it it, it insulates itself against criticism. And whenever whenever we see that deployed as a strategy, we need to be suspicious. And again. Uh, you could say the teacher-centered versus therapeutic is pretty therapeutic, that it's thoughts-focused. Okay, it exists to make kids smart. Again, can I keep? I'm gonna keep going back. I realize that I'm talking about the relationship between TC and SC, and I haven't spent a lot of time talking about what they are independently. But again, another uh, another way to think of the the distinction is that you know student-centered education is therapeutic it's feelings focused and it certainly wants to make kids feel loved whereas teacher-centeredness is pre-therapeutic it's thoughts focused to make kids smart and again i think that student-centeredness in terms of a therapeutic impulse it, it tends to focus the the level of analysis on the individual child the individual learner you hear that all the time whereas in teacher-centered thinking you're thinking of the class as a group Right and um, the needs that are sort of collective and shared. And the point here is that it isn't obvious which is best. And of course, I keep you know I keep reiterating that of course I think every teacher is really using both. Right, every teacher is finding their own way to balance themselves between you know their teaching as a responsibility to a group into a class and that they need to make intellectual progress they need to learn things and gain knowledge or skills um, and they've got collective needs as a group but there are also individuals and there are certain individuals in every class that need more attention um, and so well Certainly, there isn't a false choice, but what are you going to do? Neglect the individuals or teach the class? Well, of course, you have to find a way to do both. And we need to find a better way to talk about how to balance both of these things at the level of ideas, I'm suggesting. We need different competing theories because the answers to these kind of questions and problems uh, in terms of sacrificing care for efficacy or sacrificing efficacy for care the needs of the group versus the needs of the individual um, therapeutic uh, considerations of the emotional needs of individuals versus the intellectual needs of the group these are extremely complicated questions um, you know especially when you're when you're on when you're when you're teaching you know and you've got a large group that you're dealing with it's of course every teacher is always balancing all these things but how do we balance them? It's a real question. And certainly it's acceptable that different teachers balance them in different ways. Some teachers are better at, you know, are better at dealing with individuals, or better at dealing with groups, or better at dealing with intellectual needs, or better at dealing with emotional needs. 
And I think at the level of theory, it would say, well, no, individual emotional needs are, you know, are more important or they're increasing in their importance. And, you know, like the intellectual needs of the group certainly would be, I think, de-emphasized based on the current, based on the way that student-centeredness in pedagogy manifests itself today. Um, so here, this is a bit of a tangent, but there is a logical fallacy uh, that is known as the, the think of the children, or what about the children? And uh, it's a cliche that evolved into a rhetorical tactic. So whenever, if someone wants to undercut your argument, they can imply that it somehow isn't good for children and thus that could seem to defeat the point that you're making. It's a, a plea for pity used as an appeal to emotion. I'm reading from, from Wikipedia for you know, think of the children as a, as a fallacy and thinking about children's rights. And so I think in, in student-centered pedagogy, using like child and children and this like always coming back to this term, I think in some ways it short circuits kind of a, a critical thinking about it like yeah sure like they've got child and children if we always think of them as children or if we're always thinking about the individual child it becomes it becomes almost impossible to reintroduce the notion that teaching ideas to a group is my job as a teacher as a classroom teacher that for the whole class, like thinking of, of, of a class as a classroom, as a group of students, as a cohort, right? That that's the level of my thinking. I'm not thinking about the child. It's like, oh well, that that then you're bad. You're evil, right? And I and I'm and I'm focused on their you know their intellectual needs. They need to be stimulated and they need to become more knowledgeable. Like, you know, a, a well-educated person is going to be smart and knowledgeable and able to recall facts and to make arguments etc of course like whatever we consider to be a well-educated person is whatever is what the goal of education is ultimately going to be okay any failure to ensure that students learners children are central surely must be unquestionably good no no simply because there is no good reason there's no evidence to believe that putting learners front and center is demonstrably better than putting learning front and center this focus on the again the individual the child the learner like this as, as, a, as a single individual is that really better does that does that change well we're not thinking about like classes we're not thinking about kids anymore like we're not thinking in terms of plural we need to think in terms of singular and again i'm saying this this maps onto a, a therapeutic way of thinking how can one dare to say this this unforgivable statement that applies that the learner the person the individual is not at the center of what we do as teachers it almost becomes impossible to question the entire paradigm because anyone, anyone can undercut you in saying, you don't think that, that the child, that the individual, that the person, that the human is the most important thing, like in the way that they feel. 
like, well, I mean, of course that's important, right? Um, but what about the intellectual needs of the group, of, of, of the class of which that individual was a part? I'm saying, again, obviously every practitioner knows that both of these things are important. But there's an entire theoretical edifice in pedagogy that's completely student-centered that supports one side of the conversation. Um, and there's no support at the level of ideas, not currently, I'm saying we have to go back probably at least 100 years, um, to kind of get back into, well, no, we've got the intellectual needs of an entire group. In the therapeutic situation, it is obvious that the emotional needs of the individual, the person being analyzed, the analyst and, are paramount. How well does this map onto the classroom situation designed to meet the intellectual needs? Not for a well-adjusted ego, but for the demands any society must place upon its citizens. Whatever, whatever demands society makes of citizens, um, education certainly has an obligation to, to, to helping sort of cultivate that within the student. Of course, sorry, even thinking of them not as a, as a child or as an individual, but just think of them as a student or as a pupil, right? Like thinking of them as their role in society, like your role in the school is to be a student or a pupil, right? Versus a teacher and having these, these social roles that like your own unique individuality could, at least for example, in a, in a student-centered distinction, trying to make student and, student and teacher centered as, as dissimilar as possible. That who you are and how you function in terms of your social role is what matters, right? Again, you know, some, some skeptic listeners are gonna be conjuring images of, you know, Pink Floyd and other brick in the wall, the, all the students need to be, you know, look the same not only in uniforms but also have no faces that they have no individuality and you know they don't exist as individual as child um, that they exist in their capacity in terms of their social role in terms of being students okay of course thoughts and feelings matter individuality matters who they are as individual human identities and not just in the role of student of course all these things matter but the eager, if not zealous, rush to sacrifice thoughts and thinking for the sake of feelings suits student-centeredness, but it doesn't suit teacher-centeredness. So a teacher-centered a teacher, teacher might, again, in the current climate, unforgivably, saying, well, I cannot, I'm not going to sacrifice the efficacy of my teaching to the rest of the class for the emotional needs of one individual to try to push back and kind of say i'm not i don't believe that that's what i should be doing as a teacher absolutely this person needs help they need counseling they need you know we need to you know involve their parents etc but i think it's difficult to to make that point okay there are a whole host of sub theories that fall within student-centeredness but conflict with teacher-centeredness. Therapeutic education is SEL, social-emotional learning. And any mention of relevant or responsive, especially when wedded to an impulse 
to make education a revolutionary vanguard for change or to create change agents and or justice rather than truth talked about earlier all also fall within sc but conflict with tc so i mentioned therapeutics social emotional learning sel and these r's these relevant or responsive for a revolutionary vanguard of change agents teacher-centeredness would continue to emphasize the three r's reading writing and arithmetic rather than these new ones relevant responsive maybe even revolution and would lead into more of a great books type curriculum one that celebrates the great wealth of cultural inheritance and would have to defend that this inheritance it's for everyone right that it's not culturally exclusive right um i mean just because shakespeare was a straight white european man doesn't mean that only straight white european students are allowed to read him uh, of course not right and while what is considered to be great is exclusive in terms of it it just takes a certain level of, of ability to be able to do complicated things like to read complicated text or to do complicated math like the highest levels of anything are going to be exclusive just by their difficulty it is not and never was immune to continual thoughtful amendments right so what is thought to be great it's it's, it's an exclusive pantheon right um in addition to the, the difficulty it can be to, to to kind of apprehend but of course whatever whatever we might call the canon it isn't some sort of inaccessible irrelevant unchanging thing right that it still continues to be thoughtfully amended by the, by each generation but the inheritance of past genius is meant for all okay so i'm at about an hour here i think that i'll stop for today um i've made a deliberate effort i'll have to go back and check again i'm trying to cut out the filler words of the ums and ahs um i, I realize that i'm doing it again now <laughs> so i'll cut it off here and thanks very much for listening and i uh, will pick it up again in a couple days